Welcome to Jenteloven. Today we've had the privilege of interviewing Dr. Benjamin Hardy. He's an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of the books Willpower Doesn't Work, and he also has a brand new book out, which is called Personality Isn't Permanent. His blogs have been read by over 100 million people, and they're featured on Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Cheddar, Big Think, just to mention a couple. He has been the number one writer in the world on Medium.com from 2015 to 2018. And today he's here to hang with us because we've had the privilege of reading his new book, Personality Isn't Permanent. We're so excited for you to join in on this conversation with Dr. Benjamin Hardy. Benjamin, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Um, I'm very happy to be with you. Thank you for letting me be with you. (laughs) Um, I was wondering uh, for our listeners, you could tell us just a little bit about your background. We gave them a little bit of information about who you are, but if you yourself could just just tell us a little bit uh, more about your background and who you are. Sure. Okay. So my wife and I live in Orlando, Florida, which is where Disney World is for many people who don't know. It's a very popular place to come. I think there's like 100 million people who come here a year. It's a very touristy uh, city. We live kind of outside of that in a little bit of a nice, you know, we live kind of like 20 minutes outside of that. So we're not really all, all in there. But yeah, we have five kids. We're both kind of young to have five kids. We ended up adopting three from the foster system. And then a month after we adopted our kids. We have twins and actually my wife's pregnant with our sixth. So it's a little crazy. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely a journey. Quarantine has been very interesting with five kids at home, but my wife is a rock star and she is far more stable than I am. So she can keep the environment very stable. And, um, yeah, we ended up going through a three year foster system process of adopting our kids. It took three years to adopt them. And we did that throughout my PhD. Uh, I was in South Carolina doing a PhD in organizational psychology. It's basically the psychology, like we, it's like the business side of psychology, studying motivation, leadership, training, culture. And so that was, I was studying, you know, psychology and we were going through that three-year process. And during that time also, I was also blogging online. I started writing during like my PhD program and all my writing was very successful for several years. And I was able to write a few books and have really enjoyed it. And yeah, I mean, I could go into more of my background later if you want, but I, I got into psychology for several reasons, you know, I had very uh, several traumatic experiences growing up that were very challenging for me to go through. And then going through a church mission, I learned a ton about how to uh, overcome trauma and how to grow as a person. And so I got really interested in psychology. Wow. it's amazing. It's been fun. Really it's been a journey. <laughs> Continuing <laughs> on. I can imagine. And like with, now with six kids, it's going to be. <laughs> it's a full house. Yeah, it's, it's it, fun. It, yeah, it's enjoyable. I mean, you know, to a lot of millennials, because I'm a millennial as well, like that sounds kind of crazy and bogus and like, you know, but, uh, you know, to us, it, it really fits our goals. It fits our belief system and it challenges us every day to become better people. And honestly, like our two little twin girls are now like 18 months old. They're doing swimming lessons and stuff like it's just to me, it's a lot of fun and it brings a lot of joy to my life. And it's changed me a lot going from zero to five kids. Oh, that's like we are millennials too, and we both have kids. I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old. It's just oh wow! Apart, amazing. Yeah, I know. So yeah, so well, I don't have many kids, but I had them really close. So it's, I think that it's just as challenging. Like twins. Yeah, yeah. I think I don't think it's any different. Like a lot of people think that because we adopted our kids, it's way different than having them biologically. I don't think oh, it no, is. No, like, no. I think no. I think having a kid in general is a lot. I I agree. I agree. <laughs> a lot but like you say it's enjoyable it's fun especially like 18 months I mean my son just turned two so I can relate to that age period it's just it's all fun it's a lot of stress too but there's a lot like every day something new every day something new that you get to experience so it's amazing it really is can you tell us uh, there's this uh we love the book by the way so you got a chance to look at it definitely there's this very sweet story of how almost a personality test made you and your wife to not get married. So can you, can you tell us a bit about that personality test? 
Oh my goodness. Yeah, this it's is a, pretty. It's such a sweet a, this, story. So I mean, it is. It's, in... it's 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 funny, huh? It, Favorite part of the book. <laughs> you know, that was honestly not even intended to be in the book. Like that was put in last minute. You know, someone recommended that because we were trying to figure out how to start the book, and like I couldn't come up with a good intro. And I was talking to someone who was editing the book, and he's like, "Well, tell me some stories." And I just started telling him about that. And he's like, "That's the beginning." And I was like, "Okay." I wasn't even planning on that being in the book, but basically, what happened was. So when I was in college, my wife and I were dating and like basically, yeah, we took a personality test, which her and her family really like. It's called the color code. And I can explain in the future of this conversation why it's a bad test. But essentially this color, this test was one that her family really liked and they thought that it was true. And so they saw people based on the color code. And so when I took the test and I got the score that I was a white, which is one of the four types, they were like, "Uh uh-oh, like this is a big deal. And the reason why it was such a big deal was because like, and I'll just tell people about what the four types are. So there's four colors. You've got your reds who are like your type A, very driven, power hungry people. You've got your blues who are like very heart centered, very relationship based. You've got your whites, which are very passive, aloof, very thoughtful, very dreamer-ish, but like not going to do anything with their life. And then you've got your... um, yellows which are like your extroverted life of the party so that's those are the four types of people according to the color code and um the reason why they limiting yeah it seems like there could potentially be more people in the world than that but who knows you know i think (laughs) um but anyways um when they found out i was a white this was a big problem because of this my wife lauren was considered a red and her whole family were generally considered reds and my wife had been married before And she was in a very abusive marriage for three years. And she was married to a red who was very power hungry and who was very manipulative and very abusive. And by the way, not all reds have to be jerks, but she happened to be married to one who abused her in all forms for three years and kind of destroyed her as a human being. And so she ended up having to leave that situation, which is good for her. She traveled the world, served church mission and humanitarian style missions for a few years and like totally rebuilt herself into an amazing human being. And that's when I met her. I met her after all of that. And so the reason her parents didn't really want her to get married to me, or, or at least were, you know, nervous. They were like, this is a, this could be a big problem. This is a red flag. And she had the same opinion was, is because me being a white, that would show me as a very passive personality that like, you could walk all over me that I don't really have big goals. And so like, they thought, okay, so Lauren's trying to not be with some super type A person like she was before. So now she's interested in some passive guy who may be a really nice guy, but we still need you to get married to a real man, Lauren. Like you should still marry someone who's ambitious and who has goals, even though you don't want to be married to a jerk. So you should probably not, you know, this, we see what you're up to is basically what's happening. And she was worried about the same thing. Yeah. So we we almost didn't get married because of this personality test, to be honest with you. And like, it was a leap of faith for all of them mentally to be like, okay, are we going to trust that this white can really like be a man? Like, you know, are we going to trust that he can have goals and that he's going to be like an actual father and parent and stuff like that? Oh my god. That was goodness. what happened. But how do you how do you like organize that? Is it was it just you and your wife like, ooh, let's do this test for fun, or was that like a thing that was family popular. did that was into or I mean it, I, like how did it come up? Well, personality tests are popular, you know. I mean, uh they're very popular. Um actually they're like if it was if if we were in, if it happened today, maybe we would have taken the Enneagram, right? Because the Enneagram's increasingly popular now. Um but, you know, this was like 8 years ago before the Enneagram's popular. Although obviously the Enneagram's been around for a long time, but that just happened to be a test that was popular kind of in that subculture. Like just yeah. where, you know, where her family came from, that college, it was just happened to be a popular test. I was in, um, me and Amanda both come from corporate, very corporate backgrounds, um, and now run our own businesses and sort of doing our own thing. Um, but, uh, and in our hiring processes, so I was a manager and I would hire new managers or employees for customer service or different. And we would always use personality tests like Meyer Briggs or like a bunch of different ones. And we would bring in like a consultants that were like experts and they cost ton of money and it was really expensive like what's your opinion on personality tests like in hiring processes um one thing is like to choose your mate or your wife or your husband but in in like in a professional manner how do you see that like not working out or working out what's your opinion on that yeah i mean if you're going to use one you should probably use like 
actual measures that are scientific. So like the big five is a science, you know, is a personality test that I would recommend to people. Um, but that does not put people into types that actually gives you a score on five traits on like, a like a percentile, it gives you a percentile rank. So you'll get a score one out of a hundred on like various traits, but all of those are viewed as they can change. They can adjust. This is just kind of a snapshot in, in certain situations. Um, but I would never, and also there's other things that predict performance such as intelligence, you know, like emotional ability, grit, like there's other things you can use to hire people. Uh, in my opinion, and I've got employees, like I think that the big problem that most people have is they're not ex- extremely clear on the role. Like if you can get very clear on the role of who you're hiring for and what the success looks like in that role, then you'll usually have a lot better job finding people. But anyways, you certainly would not want to use any type-based personality tests like Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, DISC, like any test that overly puts people into a category is not good science. It's not how you, it's not how psychologists view personality. Uh, and those tests are really poorly designed. Like one of the, one of the aspects of those tests, which is horrible science is how the, the questions are structured. Usually the questions are like a multiple choice. They've, they've give you four, you know, four options. It's like, who are you in this situation? Answer these four situations. And often none of the situations are actually relevant. Like no good scientific test would ever structure the questions that way. Usually we use what's called like a Likert scale where you answer like, you know, either fully disagree or fully agree or somewhere in the middle. Like if the test isn't designed with questions that way, it's a bad test. Oh, really? Yeah. And also when you have the like multiple choice or like four, you could usually tell like, this is going to be for this. Yeah. Here's the blue answer. Here's the white answer. Here's the ENTJ answer. Cause I am an ENTJ. Or nice. I sure. am an ENTJ. I don't know. Sure. Um, or was. Um, that was what you got on the test? That's what I got. I was also a different personality, and I think I wanted to. And it's also what you want to be, how you want to perceive yourself, or how you want to think about yourself. So you so you answer what you know is going to get you, you know. We actually had our three <laughs> oldest kids take the big five last week just for fun, just like on a family night activity. And it was ho- so funny to see how they answered the questions. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know, and we have our three kids are from a pretty tough background. So, like, they still have a lot of emotional problems. But it was so funny to watch. And we just let them answer the questions without pushing them a certain way. You know, it's just like, just answer this test, you know, and you're going to get a different score in the future. None of this actually means anything about who you are as a person. It's just how you want to answer the questions. You know, like, answer as honestly as you can. And we can hopefully learn some cool things about you. But this doesn't say anything and everything about you. And so it's just funny to see, like, a lot of the kids like literally put themselves like in the 90th percentile on emotional stability and stuff like that. And it's like, like, it was just like so funny to watch. Them. But we just let them answer it. And we're just like, oh, that's interesting. That's really cool. One thing to know is, is that all these things are going to change over time. None of this says everything about you. You're going to be different in different situations around different people. And uh, if we took this test again in a year from now, you'd get a different score. So this is something we can just use to learn from. And you can choose to think about it or ignore it. That's a nice way to see it, though, with the kids. And it's a fun thing. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah. They liked it, you know. And one thing that we got out of that, honestly, is because some of the questions on the Big Five talk about mood swings. It's like, you know, like they we let them answer it, and it was fun to watch them answer. But one of the questions, you know, a lot of the questions about emotional stability, um, which is called neuroticism, you know. But basically, one of the questions talked about like, do you have mood swings a lot, or are you often blue? You know, and like you could answer one out of five, yeah. not at all, or like absolutely yes. And we've been able to use, honestly, use it as a tool when, like, they start having, like, mood swings. Like, when, like, one of them, like, is rude to the other one and one throws a tantrum. Like, Remember, we don't really want to have a lot of mood swings. Like, if you want to be highly, highly emotionally stable, we don't need extreme mood swings for little things. Like, you can actually use it as a tool to just help people become wow. better people. You know what That's I mean? a nice way of seeing it. Yeah. And, I, and, and what you say that, like, when you get a result, like, say you do the big five, it's just... It's um, it's not a forever thing. It's not who you're going to be in the future. It's not maybe you're not that tomorrow. It's just like a, a momentary thing. And that sort of brings us into the title of your latest book, which I want to get into, where you say personality isn't permanent. And I'm I'm really fat. So the thing about your book, like the thing that really wanted me to got me to read your book and like started reading all your articles on medium and you got all into it. Amanda was sending me stuff this morning. She's like, Oh my God, did you read this one? And check this out. And that's awesome. Uh, but personality isn't permanent. So what's the background for that title? Cause it's quite an interesting title. It's a little bit provocative. Yeah. And this test, you know, is admittedly to some degree, 
controversial. You know, I mean, I very much call out personality tests like Myers-Briggs explain that they're non-scientific and actually they can be mentally, you know, terrible because they really create an identity. The thing that triggered me to write the book was reading the book called The Body Keeps the Score. The Body Keeps the Score is the definitive book on trauma at this moment. And and personality isn't permanent is not all about trauma. That's just a big aspect of the book. There's many other parts of the book. But one of the things that I learned from The Body Keeps the Score is obviously how trauma freezes and keeps your personality stuck in the past. And obviously, you can resolve trauma. You can reframe it. You can move forward uh, in you know, there's just so much new research kind of showing that personality changes over time, no matter what. And so I just, I think that there was just a lot of pop culture ideas that your personality is hardwired or that it is who you are, or that it's stable. And I just kind of wanted to show that that's not true. <laughs> and that personality is more a skill than anything. It's less a trait that you can't change. It's more of a skill that you can develop. I love that. And I love how you use the, like the example with your kids. Like this is a, we can use it. This is how we evolve. Like if we know, okay, I need to have a lot of mood swings or I get, I get really, um, in the book, you also write a, um, a lot about like fight or flight responses that how you can improve and like make your life easier and make everything around you easier and more comfortable and nicer and better really. Yeah. I mean, so one thing that's that. really, one thing that's interesting just to say is honestly, personality doesn't say that much about a person as weird as that may sound. Um, no, like, listen, hear me out because like, because last week I took, I took the test, um, and really quick, I'll give a quick explanation. So identity and personality are two different things. Your identity is how you describe yourself. It's how you see yourself. So if I see, if I say that I'm an introvert, that may, that actually says more about my identity than it says about my personality. That says, that's how I view myself and that's how I explain myself. And so I can describe myself as a good parent or a bad parent. I can explain myself as a good person or a bad person. This is all my identity. It's how I explain myself and identity is what shapes your behavior and your behavior over time becomes your personality. Um, but I showed, I showed a fellow psychologist friend of mine, my results on the big five. Cause I took it last week with my kids and I just sent him my output. And I was very, so if you've ever heard of like a bell curve, basically a bell curve is like where like there's a middle and like most people are in the middle and then there's some outliers on both ends. Well, I was pretty in the middle on everything. Like pretty average personality, you know? And he's like, Ben, you're, he's like the big five shows that you're very average, but he's like, from my perspective, you're not that average of a person. And I'm like, I might have a pretty average personality, but like, who cares what your personality is in many ways? Like your personality doesn't measure a lot of things such as like your focus on the future. It doesn't measure your knowledge. It doesn't measure, you know, how much you care about people. Like there's a lot of things that just, your personality is kind of a very limited way of viewing someone, you know, but it very much can change. So fascinating. There's way more to it than that, in other words. You know? So much more to it. Yeah, and like there's more than four types of people. It's that's amazing. (laughs) According to the Myers Briggs, there's actually sixteen. So (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well it depends on who you talk to. (laughs) True, true. So, but I mean, you, you've tapped onto this earlier and you've tapped onto this in, in other episodes, in podcasts and such and, and, and in your stories, but uh, you, you've had quite a rough background uh, when while growing up. So is there anything that kind of was a main reason for you to kind of to, to write this book or why was it so important for you to to write this? I mean, because it's... it's it's it yeah because it's very freeing in a way it's kind of yes do you, do you understand what i mean yeah i what love I'm the question i love the question i'll tell you why um so i did come from a challenging background my father was a drug addict and you know we had very little stability i barely ended up graduating high school i actually have zero clue how i did it um wow. you know if you looked at benjamin hardy from like 15 years ago i mean even five years ago i was a different person if you looked at my life 15 years ago there is no evidence that I would become this person, you know, and I could have really, I, I could have become a million different people. Like there's not one person you're intended to be. We all can, we all make choices every day that shape who we become. You know, I could have been in a million different places in my life right now. Um, but yeah, I think there's a few reasons why I wrote this book. One is obviously kind of helping people realize kind of the major principle of this book is that the past doesn't need to be the biggest thing predicting your future or shaping your life. Uh, often that is the case. And that's actually one of the core beliefs in psychology is, is that the best way to predict someone's future is by looking at their past. And that's, that doesn't have to be the case, but it often is the case. And it can be frustrating for people who have been stuck. You know, my, my younger brother, as an example, 
we just recently took him to a treatment facility because he's been struggling with addictions ever since my parents divorce, mm. like almost 20 years ago. And he's only 30 years old. And so you don't need, you know, even if you've been successful in the past, you don't want the past to be the major thing determining who you are as a person. Uh, instead, you want your goals and your choices to be the thing determining who you are as a person. And there's a lot of research to show you how you can do that. And so rather than having your life and your personality and your outcomes be based on who you were in the past, you can choose who you want to be in the future, your future self, as the research explains it. And you can let your future self, the person you want to be and the situation you want to have, you know, what, whatever that means, you can have that thing be the thing predicting and guiding who you are today. And that's, in my opinion, that's a much better approach to psychology. It's how people like Viktor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning, view psychology. He viewed the, he viewed the future as being way more important than a person's past, um, and that we have choices in who we can become. And there's, I, just, I just wanted to show people that you have choice in who you can become and that you can decide who you want to be in the future. And there's plenty of strategies that you can use to become that person. And that's, that's a way that you can live by creation rather than by default. Exactly. Like, and like living by creation, like you can, and it's basically the, it's maybe the scientific way of saying like you, you could be whoever you want to be or whatever you want to be. <laughs> I think it's really that a little bit. Yeah. 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 You, or you become, yeah, you become who you want to be and who you choose to be and who you act it, as. Exactly. And it's like conscious decisions that you make every day and the little decisions and like where you put your focus and where you put your mind. That's uh, that's what defines it. Not what school you went to or who your parents are, or who your brother is or what happened or not that it didn't happen, but doesn't need to define you, define you <clears throat> for the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's not who you are. No, exactly. That's a very beautiful way of seeing it. And it's very freeing to read in the book. And you speak very openly about your background and your story and um and just just by mentioning that out loud will certainly help so many other people that are stuck in so many difficult situations at home that struggle with so many family problems in so many ways and um that also feel very defined and lost and maybe stopped in a way as if their life can't go further so this is a very beautifully written broken down story of how you can actually build yourself back up again so, you guys care if i ask you a question yeah, you guys ask have, away. since you guys have actually read the book and it's always appreciative from my perspective when someone's done that <laughs> what did you actually get out of the book or what what, what did you like about it this exactly I have, this i have two things yeah <laughs> stina can go first and i'll go after. <laughs> okay so one it sort of the first thing it was it it let me off the hook so first I was like Amanda said I was relaxed I was like oh okay well that feels nice like that's comfortable and then it was oh but I'm like fucking responsible like it's me so there was like two like it was a growth <laughs> period <laughs> reading the book because it was first like oh amazing like I don't have to be this or I don't have to be this and then it's like but you have to choose to do the things to do or be whatever you want and they're like oh damn it so it's all so I have to okay great so it was a two-part um experience but I like that That's and cool. it worked so it was like a, a mini journey okay cool, that's very nice cool. I like that. Those were my two steps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, you're you're off you're you're off to hug. Now go work. Oh, okay. <laughs> For me it was more about, you know, um breaking kind of not for me personally, but someone else saying out loud, breaking down old rules in a way which kind of was like oh yes someone says this loud this is good this is this is so freeing for so many people but then it was it was also the aspect of you know keep focus keep track because you are responsible because you're responsible for your choices and because if you want to succeed and if you want to go to where you're going you 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 have to stay on track don't let yourself kind of you know look too much to the side or don't let life happen to you, but allow yourself to grab life properly. And that, that was kind of my main, it was kind of like a, a big reminder of something we need to hear every day. And That's even cool. though both Steena and I are very, we're relatively mindful people. We were very, 
we like to meditate. It's something that we try to do uh, at least as often as we can, hopefully five days a week at least. Um, but, you know, it's, it's more that uh, it's more just about reminding yourself about these things and then keeping yourself in, in the right direction for what you want to do and not allowing the whole world or the whole universe telling you all these other things, but just listening to yourself properly and then actually doing that without feeling bad or anything. I think so, that was, so that was really, really interesting. Yeah. I think that people who meditate regularly have so much more self-awareness than what a mm. personality test could ever give you. You know what I mean? Like yeah, people who actually meditate journal, who reflect, who like open and express their emotions and who are like visual and vocal about their goals. They know so much more about themselves than people who are just looking for answers, you know? Yeah. And you have to make choices, you know, to become that person that you want to become. And, and this is exactly what you're talking about in the book, which is, is very, especially for our listeners, it's, it's very spot on for uh, many of our listeners are either becoming entrepreneurs or they're thinking about jumping off. Uh, maybe they're building a side hustle. And then it's, it's all these aspects of keeping focus. But what is your focus? You know, so being clear, keeping clarity. And I like the not being defined part, like yeah. either by yourself or by others that you're allowed to. Cause I think also for me personally, it was where I was the one that had to define myself and I'm a type A personality. I'm pretty aggressive. I do the things and the stuff. Um, and I thought that because I was like this type of person, I had this type of background or I saw myself as this type of person I had to do or be like, I'm an extrovert, but it turns out like I'm, maybe I'm a closeted introvert, you know, cause I've really, maybe like, you're just, both. maybe you're just on a spectrum and in different situations exactly. and on different days, you need different things, right? On exactly. Certain, and yeah, it doesn't yeah. need to be like one thing or the other. You don't need to be one thing or the other. And I don't know if like the name, so the name of this podcast, there's a saying in Norwegian or in Scandinavia. I don't know if they have it in America, but maybe you heard about it. Since you have a PhD in organizational psychology, I don't know yeah, if I have. What is it? Janteloven. And what is the translation? Uh, it's like it's it's a word that means that you're not supposed to think that you are something. Sounds very spot it's like on. An, it's, it's a very <laughs> old saying in Norway, and we have like a twist on it. So we have janteloven, which means girl, the girl law, sort of but that you're not supposed to think that you are something. You're not supposed to speak up, be quiet, be medium, be in the middle. Don't go up. Don't go down. Don't do anything different. Just stay there. So we want to <laughs> show the opposite. That you, you want to break out of that. Exactly. You can Definitely. be exactly who you want to be. You can go after your enormous dreams. You can trust your gut. You can trust no one. You can trust anyone. I mean, do the things you want to do and just, you know, don't listen to everyone else, don't, especially don't listen to the old laws. So. Yeah, I think that's really good. I mean, one of the things I've referenced plenty of times, but I think it's great is, is that, you know, as far as the number one deathbed regret, it's the cur it's that people didn't have the courage to become the person they truly wanted to be. Instead, they lived up to the expectations of those around them. And there's a lot of research that supports that. Like, you know, who we often are is supported by, you know, the role that we're in or the situation we're in. You know, like there's a lot of research that talks about how situation predicts who you are. And often we're in the same situation around the same people over and over. And we're kind of just stuck in certain roles. And uh, I also think kind of kind of going to the idea of not being in the middle. If you're not going to be in the middle, what that means is that you're going to be in the high and in the low. And I think anyone who's on the entrepreneurial journey has had that experience, that it takes a lot of courage. It involves, a, this is why psychological flexibility is such a big aspect of my book is because, you know, personality and your comfort zone are pretty much the exact same thing. And so to do something that's a little different or new towards a future self or towards a goal is going to create all sorts of uncertainty and all sorts of crazy emotions, the fight or flight experience. And you're going to have failures and stuff like that. And so that you're going to have a lot of really low lows, obviously, and you're going to have a lot of extremely high highs rather than just kind of, you know, being comfortable and safe and living a predictable, easy, you know, life where you can say, this is who I am. I'm an introvert and therefore I'm going to just do goals that are really safe, safe and stable or, or I'm this type of person. It's like, no, this is who I want to be. And I'm going to do whatever I can to get to that level. And I'm going to, I'm willing to go through all of the highs, the lows, the emotions, the experience, the learning, whatever it may be to become that type of person. 
Uh, and that's really how you become more flexible as a person and less defined by the past, more confident. And uh, so I, I love what you're saying. And it's like you say, like, go through the learning. So uh, this book, when you when you wrote it, so I, like you, it came from your story, your experience, your family. I think like it all comes together. But who is it for? Like, who is this book for? Who needs to run out immediately and get this? Like, who did you have in mind when you wrote this book? Yeah, I love that question. Um, really a couple different categories of people. Like one would be obviously people who do feel very stuck. Like I wrote this book, Willpower Doesn't Work for two groups of people. One would be like addicts, people who are really stuck and then entrepreneurs, like entrepreneurs, um, being people who shouldn't be doing everything, but should like build an environment around themselves to like, so they can go optimal. Um, this book has kind of similar populations. doesn't have to explicitly be entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs obviously will love this book. Uh, so it's either someone who's just really stuck and like hopeless or someone who just wants extreme growth and change. Like someone who's already deep on the growth journey and who wants to go to the next level. Like this book will show you more of how to get to the next level of the growth journey, or it'll show someone who's just like on the opposite end of the spectrum and just like has been really defined by the past, believes they're stuck that they can, it gives them hope and shows them that they don't have to be defined by that. So it's kind of both ends of the spectrum, really. As far I'm, I'm kind of an inch, I'm kind of interested in the outliers, you know, probably kind of similar to you are like, I'm not that interested in the middle of the bell curve. I'm interested in the people who are like way over here who are already exploding. And I want to just like try to help that grow or people on the other end who are just like, my life sucks. I'm, I, I'm, I'm a low, I'm a nobody. It's like, no, you're not like we can adjust that. So I think that the book is kind of tailored to both ends of that spectrum. Yeah, I it I definitely does. Yeah. And I actually read or listened to, I actually, the willpower doesn't work book. I listened to nice. Um, after this one. So I did it. Like, Interesting. The other one. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, the other way around, um, which I actually kind of, re- I think I would recommend that. I would I too. That, I would too. Like that's the order I would do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I, I like personalities and permanent way better than willpower doesn't work as the writer. You know, like I wrote, yeah. I wrote willpower doesn't work three years ago. And, um, you know, kind of like the, the wait, go ahead. No, no, I know. I just, I listen and I could hear you because uh, I, I bought the ebook. So I could like listen to you read it. It was a version that you read, yeah. uh, which was nice too. Cause you always get the different, I don't know. I just like Tonality it when the author reads. Yeah. I like it when the author, cause you get the points where it's supposed to go and there's no like confusion and I could like get what you're saying. Well, they didn't let me record this audio book. <laughs> so it's, I, it's not me on the, on the personality isn't permanent. I know I tried cause I was going to go in and see if I could say, cause I listened to all the books I read also. Uh, so I was going to go and see, but I couldn't buy it yet. Well, it comes out <laughs> soon, I know. Know, but, but, but I'm not the one who recorded it. I know I saw cause I could see that. that was you saw, yeah, you saw the narrator. And yeah. 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 Cause I always check that out. Yeah. But the narrator I will say is really good. Uh, I actually specifically chose him because he's recorded a lot of my favorite audiobooks. So Oh wow. Okay, well that's cool. I trust you then. Thank I'll you. trust your judgment. <laughs> I'll email you if I don't like it. You can, <laughs> you can tell me and I'll tell him. <laughs> yeah. no, don't do that. I just wanted to tap on to two things that were kind of that really hit me in the book. And one sure. of them was uh, you have a very beautiful phrase, which is, it was, it's from someone else, but it's, I cried because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. Mm. And then you say that the context changes everything. So would you want to elaborate what your thoughts are around in comparing ourselves to others and how that actually limits us as people? Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's such a cool question. Honestly, I forgot that I put that quote in the book. <laughs> it's a beautiful quote. I, I do love that. Well, so it's it's the idea of context. It's like if someone you know is feeling really bad about themselves, and then you realize, holy cow, by recognizing or being mindful of the actual situation, you know, you know, you know, it's, I don't, I don't necessarily think we should always compare ourselves to other people, but often we're complaining because we don't have context, right? We don't realize, Oh, actually, you know what? I live in modern society. You know, I actually have running water. I have a toilet. Like, you know, like if I lived a hundred years ago or like 150 years ago, like we wouldn't have toilets. Like, and so sometimes it's just realizing the context that helps you to see things differently. And, you know, we don't have to get so focused on our current view of things because our current view of things is very limited. Um, and when you expand the context, you know, it's kind of like the person who says, I, what was the quote again? Will you share it? 
I, I was complaining because I, I had no. I, yeah. cr- I cried because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. No feet. Yeah. So I just think that, you know, gratitude as one example is an easy way to change the context where like you're viewing a negative experience, something that bad that happened, and then you can choose to look at it from a different perspective and you realize, oh, you know what? It's not that bad. And in fact, my life is really great. Um, that's one thing that we have to teach our three kids all the time. Like our three kids have an amazing life. Yeah, they were adopted. Yeah, they've gone through a lot of trauma, but like they have a lot of amazing things, yet they can often complain, you know? And so like, uh, that's why I like Dan Sullivan's concept of measure the gain, not the gap. Like focus on the gain because there's a lot of gains rather than just all the gaps in the world and focusing on where, where there's not enough. And so just as an example, like when you're viewing a former experience that was certainly hard, painful, challenging, if you look at it from a different context, a different perspective, and you look at all the gains that have happened or what could have gone worse, you know, you can look at it from different angles. Like this could have killed me. You know, that I've been in a totally crazy car accident. Actually, I was the driver at 16 years old and I was driving and there was this construction error and we ended up flipping and stuff like that. And my mom got thrown 50 feet from the car. No, seriously. Shit. Yeah. Wow. She almost died. But Uh, The truth is she didn't die. It was miraculous. And, um, you know, I could look at that experience and still be defined by it, or I can look at all the gains. Well, my mom didn't die. You know, I can choose to look at the context differently. Um, You know, this really brought us together. And I think that that's one of the keys to actually healing trauma is changing the context. Because when you change the context, you change the meaning of the content. The content was I got in a car accident, but the context is my choice. That's how I view it. That's how I feel about it. And I can choose to focus on the gains or I can choose to focus on the gaps. And when I look at all the gains, even my mom, who still to this day has some back pain from that, she would definitely say that the experience happened for her, not to her. She would say it was a blessing in her life because that's how she chooses to view it. And that meaning really helps her with the rest of her life. And that's all about choosing context and meaning. And life is really about meaning, especially the past. The past, but even the present, is all about, like, COVID-19, as an example. It's all about what you choose to see it as. And that's all about context. We all have different views. And uh, how we choose to contextualize and and see it determines everything about how we feel about it. So much. Yeah, I agree. And it is what it's sort of, well, not is what it is, but it is what it is. It's like, that's the situation either way. You can hate it or you cannot hate it. You could, my business has taken a huge blow from this. Um, and it affects all of us in some way or another, but then it was like, okay, but I had savings. Thank God. That also proved to me that it's important for my future to also have savings for other eventual things that might happen and then I got to spend eight weeks just hanging out with my kids which was really nice and we started gardening which was amazing and me and my husband got to work through a lot of stuff and we got like closer together so it's like a lot of things we wouldn't have today when was this is like the first week where I've been able to go back to work that we wouldn't have if all this didn't happen and I'm not saying like it's it's horrible it's so many things happening there's so many opinions I don't know what's right and what's wrong but it's just the one that it matters is, is the context you give it, right? Exactly. That's, and that's what just, matters is the context you give to this and how that impacts your future self and yeah, your family. And talk- yeah, and I was talking to a bunch of my students today. We had a live in our group and we were talking about the, this exact thing. Like, we got to just, like, what can we take from this? What? How can we, like, maximize this experience? Can you just chill out? Can you focus out? Okay, I'm going to learn to have... I'm going to focus on making a savings plan for the future because that's what I really want to do now because that's important to me or I want to do this or I want to grow tomatoes. I don't <laughs> Just make it your own. Like like take charge of the experience and make it your own. And then it can be whatever you want to be. Yeah. I also like the future self as the context. You know what I mean? Like if you don't have a clear future self as an example, really hard to know what to do today. Like a lot of research on that, that you can't make intentional deliberate decisions today if you don't know who you want to be in the future. And so part of expanding context is who do I want to be in the future? By shifting the, by expanding the context, you can say, okay, well, I'm, I'm, therefore I'm going to make different choices today because of who and where I want to be in three to five years from now. So context is all about just choosing the view of how you want to see something. You can see it from the worm's eye view. You can see it from the bird's eye view. You can see it, you know, you can see it from a ton of different places.
Definitely. There's this story in the book uh, about Vanessa. It's mm. relatively in the beginning. But she really resonated with me. Uh, okay. I've been she's working cool. as Have you looked her up since? No, I was going to do it today actually because I'm so impressed by her story. Um she's so amazing. definitely. I jumped off. I've been working as an architect for eight years and I could really resonate with Vanessa because I jumped off a year ago, almost a year ago now in June last year. I said, no, thank you. I'm going to do something else. This is not resonating with who I am, how I want to live my life with my choices. And if you had asked me a year ago, I think my conversation would have been relatively around how Vanessa's conversations would have been in the beginning. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. So this is a story about Vanessa O'Brien. For anyone who wants to Google her, she is a, she holds so many world records in the world of like climbing mountains. Like she's climbed Everest, you know, she's climbed all these mountains on like all of the countries all over the world. She's broken all the records, you know, for women in, in, in rock climbing. So cool. Yeah. It's amazing. And like, I, and I interviewed her for like three hours for this book. I didn't even know who she wow. was. My editor just told me, you, you should interview this woman. She's crazy. She's cool. She like really, it reflects what you're trying to talk about here when I was first writing the book. And what was interesting is because I interviewed her for like three hours, she was totally Zen, like totally just like very calm, quiet, not in a hurry, you know, like very much just enjoying the conversation, very present. And I was just like blown away, even though she was very goal oriented, very purpose driven, like doing huge things, writing a book, part of all sorts of organizations. She was totally with me. Um, and she then she told me about who she was, you know, back at the 2008 stock market crash because she had spent her whole career kind of being like a corporate, you know, jockey where she was climbing up, trying to go up the ranks, you know, like working 60, 80 hours a week or more like two week vacations once a year. And just very like, you know, not very broad, not very expansive, but just like single identity. Like this is the only way that I can see myself is that I'm just career focused. Um, and then the stock market crashed and, you know, that forced her to look at things differently. Talk about a new context forcing you to see the situation differently. But the stock market crashed and she was forced, kind of like COVID-19 has in a lot of ways, for people to look at the situation and look at themselves and say, is this what I really want? Is this something worth really focusing on? Because it really shattered her faith in the financial industry, which was what she was a big part of. And basically it led her and her husband to moving to a different country because they needed to focus their career in different ways. And she just decided she didn't want to go back after that. She was just like, that's not who I want to be. That's not a situation I want to go back into. I'm not really resonating with that anymore. But then she just kind of realized that if she needed to reinvent herself, she needed a goal. She needed something that would challenge her, that would stretch her, that would transform her. You know, in your case, it seems like it could be entrepreneurship or whatever you decide to do. In her case, she didn't really know what to do, but her friends, honestly, they were just thinking about what the freak should I pursue for the next year or two? And, and it was kind of presented to her. Maybe you should try to climb Mount Everest. You know, like that sounds like a challenge. That sounds like a challenge, you know, and like, oh. that sounds like something that you could, you know, like, and like she thought about it and she's like, you know what? I need something to challenge me in a new way. I need to get out of my box. I need to figure myself out. I need to reinvent myself. I need to like, I need to be stretched and challenged and, and see the world again in some way. And so she thought that was a cool idea. And so she, she pursued it. And the first time she tried, she was overconfident and she totally failed hardcore. And that humbled her, but it also really got her commitment excited. Like she was like, okay, I underestimated this. Like this thing is big and I need to go through a lot of training and I need to, I need to become a different version of myself in order to accomplish this. This is a lot bigger than I thought it was. And so eventually she was able to like succeed at Everest. And then she like that allowed her to pursue different goals and She's now since like totally changed that this has been over the last 10 years, you know, and, um, you know, I start the book with talking about her just going through one of these grueling challenges where basically her ego was being destroyed, you know, where like when you're doing really challenging things that are stretching you. And I love the quote from Dan Sullivan that confidence is built by making progress towards goals that are above your current capabilities. When you're pursuing something that's way above your current capability, that's how you stretch yourself. That's also how you destroy your ego and your identity in a good way. And so she was just going through hell trying to do one of these challenges that she had put herself through. And 
Oliver sense of self was being kind of destroyed, but in a positive way, like her ego was being destroyed. And she was just like, she realized she needed help. She realized that she wasn't who she thought she wasn't, that she could become someone new. And ultimately she overcame some challenges, which gave her a lot more confidence, flexibility. And, uh, she's just someone who's totally changed over the last 10 years, become a lot more intuitive, a lot more inspirational, a lot more caring about other people, a lot more caring about the planet, not just so single focused on one goal, which is her small career. She's just way, way different as a person. And she's really evolved in a lot of different ways. And she now can do things that the former version of herself would have never thought she could do or would have never even considered to do. And so I just love her story because of how much a person can evolve and change over a course of time if they're willing to put themselves through extreme challenges uh, and seek help and open up about her challenges. So I just her story is beautiful. Very beautiful. And it was just so nice how you you wrote it so clearly. If you had asked Vanessa a year ago. Uh, a couple of questions she would have most probably not have had the time to sit down and most probably it would have been maybe just focusing on her career but if, oh, you, yeah. if you ask Vanessa a year after then you would realize how much she cares about the planet how much she cares about other people and it's so clearly when you say that and she would also ask questions about you and and that's where you see the mind shift in people and that's when you realize how much that they've changed. So it's a really beautiful story and so inspiring for so many others. So you should definitely go check it out for you, for all of you that haven't read the story about Vanessa O'Brien. She's cool. And I love what you said. Like if she's just now, she's just a bigger person and not like being the bigger person in the situation, but she's a, her world is bigger. Like she's a, she, she is like a conscious being is so much more expanded, but also her ability, yeah. her, her resilience, her ability to take on things, what she so does. Lovely. So cool. I love it. I'm going to go, I'm going to go follow her Instagram. I'm going to go stalk her on Instagram. Yeah. You guys should interview. You guys should get her on the podcast. I mean, she definitely. would, she is fascinating. Oh, oh that's, that, that, that's a very good tip. Thank you. Yeah, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> <laughs> like we were talking about her. It before. will be like a three hour conversation potentially because you know, she's love in, it. she's in Zen mode. So love it. We'll just do it at the summit or something. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> she, I'm, I'm sure she could do a great 30 to 60 minute interview or whatever you guys prefer. No, no, no. We're super flexible. We just like to make cool stuff. So what needs to be two hours needs to be two hours, you know? So I love that's that. no problem. Okay. So this book, Personality Isn't Permanent. Where can we get it? Where can we buy it? Yeah, so I'm... Uh, obviously I'm in the U S this is, but, uh, I'm, sh- I'm certain you can get the book on the internet, wherever, you know, people are hearing this, look up personalities and permanent there's international distributors, get the book kind of wherever you buy it, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever, gonna, wherever yeah. you buy books. Yeah. So Amazon, we can get in Norway. So go on to Amazon. We're going to obviously link to, uh, directly to the book in the show notes. And also if your local bookstore doesn't have it, call them and ask them to order it in so you can get it. So just tell them that you need it and they'll get it for you. Yeah. I mean, the book's already been translated into many, many different languages, but, um, Norwegian people would bring English books just as much as Norwegian books. Okay, that's cool. Well, you can get the book wherever wherever you want. Which social do you prefer? I just prefer just, I actually just prefer benjaminhardy.com. Yeah, okay. We'll link to your website and tell them to check out your courses and your other stuff. Cool. Awesome. Did you, are you, do you have like a do you have like a whole day now of doing like back to back? I've got probably three or four, you know, I, I, I've, I've done many, um, but I'm also literally starting my next book. And so I'm, wow. I'm doing plenty of writing as well. And just going home and spending time with my kids and, you know, just enjoying. What's the next book? Uh, the next book. Isn't that the one that you're co-authoring with? Um... Oh no, that book's already written. That book comes out in October. Oh, yeah. yeah, that 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 your audience would really like that book. That's called Who Not yeah. Now. Yeah, that's a very entrepreneurial book. Um, yeah. the, the one I'm writing right now, which is in proposal stage, is I'm going to sell it literally a week after Personality comes out. I think uh-huh. right now it's called Bigger Future, Better Present, and it's okay, all about cool. just how like the only way you can make your present better is by making your future bigger. Um, 
And so like, it has a lot to do with future self, but there's a lot of other things about it. Like I read uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl twice during COVID-19. Wow. And you know, I've read it many times, but that book really opened my eyes again. Yeah. About, uh, have you guys again. read it? Have you guys read it? Or if not, yeah. please do. Yeah. But it's been a couple of years. So I got to do it. So I, obviously I got it. If you read it twice now in a couple of months, I, obviously there may be a value of really rereading it. I would it. read it again. I think that there's... Yeah. Um, and like you say, context changes also. It was really good for me and for a lot of my audience to read it during COVID-19. Talk about yeah. context. Talk about, exactly. you, talk about you cry when you are in COVID-19 uh, until you read about people yeah. who are in the Holocaust. You know, exactly. and you're like, oh, you know, maybe this isn't as bad as I thought it could be. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. It was an honor talking to you. Um uh, I'm going to jump in, check out some of your courses. I know that Amanda's husband's done some of them. So I'm going to do really? some of that. Yeah. Cause I haven't done them. He's done them, right? He's he done them. Like yeah. And he's, he's actually doing one yeah. now. Yeah. So he's got me into journaling every, every night. Is he, is uh, he liking them? He's loving them. That's and, a huge, huge compliment from your husband. And, and that, no, it's actually a very big compliment because he doesn't do courses. He's like, this <sighs> online course thing, that's not for me. I'm like, oh, but seriously, but now he's found you and you're the first online course he's done and he's so happy with it. So, uh, really, well, thank you. Huge, they're, huge they're honor. I'm sure. <laughs> well, thank, thank you. That's really nice. Thank you so much for letting me uh, be on your guys' show. It was a huge honor and a huge pleasure. It was fun. Lovely to talk to you. Have again. a great day. You Thanks too. for reading my book. Thank you for reading my of book. Course. No, thank you right. for sharing it with us. You're welcome. Thank Have you. a good day. Thank you so much to Dr. Benjamin Hardy that's been hanging around here with us today, giving us great advice on how we can become a better version of ourselves. He's out with a new book, Personality Isn't Permanent. And if you're interested in reading it, which we highly recommend, check out the link in our show notes or you can go to amazon.com or amazon.co.uk. And we wish you an amazing summer vacation.